On this episode of The Rap Report, we're going to have more of the interviews that I took while I was at Shepherd's Conference. This is going to get a little personal. I'm just saying there is something I'm going to play from another podcast later on that uh, kind of made me cry. Yes. But fortunately, you didn't hear that. I didn't play it live. So you won't hear that part of it, which I'm so glad for. But here are some interviews coming up on today's Rap Report. Welcome to the Rap Report with Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretations and applications. This is the ministry of Striving for Eternity in the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Okay, we had some interviews that I took while I was out at Shepherd's Conference. We are still playing through those. We do hope to be able to play some of the messages from the Sanctification Through Suffering Conference. Working on those audios, hopefully we will have those coming up for you. A lot of people have been wanting those and wanted to hear what Justin Peters and Frank Mullis and others had said at that conference. It was a great conference, and so we will try to get that to you. But what we have today is some interviews. First up, the guys from Theology Driven drove all the way to California, and here is my interview with them. Yeah, oops. They, they didn't drive to California. No, they didn't show up. So we have no interview with the guys at Theology Driven. They are still driving somewhere, probably. But uh, it's a good podcast. They, they, you know, they are just driving somewhere, maybe. Uh, but we did have an interview that I was able to get with a friend of mine. And I hope that this really helps you to appreciate really what we're doing at Shepherd's Conference. Why do so many people go out there and what are they looking for? And this really, this interview with Chris Hanholz from Voice of Reason Radio, really, he, it was his first time going there and he was very impacted. And I hope that you will appreciate this interview. All right, so here I am at Shepherd's Conference and I am again with an award-winning podcaster. And this time... With the voice of reason himself, Chris Honholz. It is his first time at Shepherd's Conference, and we're going to get an idea how he feels the conference is and what he's been blessed by. I've absolutely been blessed, although I, now I'm stuck here listening to you. You know, mess with me again, you know, t- totally twisting everything I say and do. But yes, I am, I'm having a wonderful time here. Thank you. <laughs> what have I twisted? Name one thing. Well, let's see. I am I am not the voice of reason because the show itself is Voice of Reason Radio and Radio, and we've always said the voice of reason is God's word, not me. Don't ever call me that. I am nothing, not even close to the voice of reason. <laughs> okay, so you're the as the one gentleman here said, you're the voice of voice of reason. Is that it? <laughs> I guess you, if you wanted to go with that, you could. Yeah, one of two voices because my buddy Rich can't be here. <laughs> well, we'll have to work on that. So. Um, <laughs> Shout out, Rich. You know it's coming. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, this is your first Shepherd's Conference. What have you been most blessed by so far? And it's only day two. I think one of the biggest things that's such a huge blessing is seeing this large a gathering of men dedicated to coming together to learn and be edified and strengthened for the express purpose of preaching the gospel in their churches, taking that, the good word back. So they're coming here for a specific reason. 
to be informed, strengthened, edified, and taught. And that is so contradictory to what the rest of the world does with conferences. It's about elevating you, about making you a better person. These guys are coming here humbly to be taught so they can go out and be better preachers of the Word, better under-shepherds of the Word of God. And as Pastor MacArthur said on his first talk, the, the servant that you are supposed to be is like the third level, lower galley slave rowing the ship. And nobody here balked at that. Nobody got freaked out by that. They all just nodded their heads and amen. And that's what they're here for. And to see that kind of um, gathering coming together, it, it, it reminds me of Elijah you know, standing in the wilderness going, God, I'm all by myself. And God says, no, I've got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. That's what these men are. They are those who have not bowed the knee and they have come here to be out and go out and preach God's word. That's what blesses me. And it's not just that. we've, As you and I just experienced, as we were sitting down just to have lunch, there's a lot more than just the preaching that goes on here. It's also the fellowship and some of the, the interaction with folks. So, I mean, how's that for you? That's what I think is one of the mo- more amazing th- aspects of it is you, when you're coming together in a, an environment like this, you don't have to be concerned about... Uh, am I dealing with heretics? Am I dealing with false teaching? Everybody here, maybe there's differences in our areas of theology that we can d- debate and discuss, but generally we're all on the same page. So you can sit down and talk to someone about an issue that you're dealing with or have questions about, and you're learning from each other. You're being built up by other brethren who have come here for the same reason. And so that is an amazing thing to watch unfold. Is you, there's, there's not a fear. It's, you know, we're not going to sit here and worry about, is this guy going to judge me for this, this teaching or that teaching? We're, they're here to learn and to grow and to build each other up. You know, having been here at Shepherd's Conference for many years, I've actually found out that a lot of guys come here when they're at a point in their church where a frustration, ready to give up, ready to quit, and they kind of come to here almost as a, to, to revitalize them, to get them charged up again. And, you know, like we had seen here at lunch just sitting and talking and, and hearing one brother, a younger brother even, admonishing an older brother to do something and, and just receiving it well. I think there's a lot of that sweet fellowship. And, and really what it was, and, and we saw it around the table here, was it was what we share in Christ. How much is that kindred spirit, uh, how much do you sense that here at Shepherd's Conference? I think it's palpable. I mean, you can see it. You're standing in line, and and you just start a conversation with someone. And the first thing I want to know is, who are you? Where are you serving? You know, what's your story? And and it's not an inquisition. It's a genuine desire to know who you are and why you're here and why you're serving. And and what are you learning and what are you gaining? And it's it's a joy. It, you know, there's actual there's genuine joy between brethren getting together and talking and learning about each other. So that, like I said, it is literally palpable. You can feel it everywhere you go. Now, there's been a a problem you've had at this conference, I think. Um, Yeah, besides me, besides me. Um, You've had a problem. There's a a certain tent, I think, that you've been been struggling over. So tell, tell us about this tent that you struggle with and what you struggle with when you go in there. Oh, you're talking about the book tent. It's a rather small tent, right? Uh, yeah, if you call a city block a small tent, sure. Uh, this is a massive tent. It's actually it's two components. It's got the book side and it's got the, the cafeteria area where we sit. It is one of the most massive collections of sound theological books I've ever seen. If you walked into a Barnes & Noble and took like the, the bottom floor, that's, that's the Shepcon book tent. 
and uh, and it's it, you don't have to worry about it. It's not like like walking into a Lifeway, and it's like ninety percent of it's heresy, and maybe five percent is good stuff, and five we don't even know how that got in here. It's good, solid theological stuff, and every person I've seen is probably made multiple trips around those tables, and. Um, it, it, what, one of the amazing blessings is you come here to Shepherd's Conference. They send you home with books as part of your, your the cost of coming. So you get books. Then they give you stuff when you walk in the door. So I've already got a couple of booklets that way. And then they give you two $25 gift certificates and say, go and get more books. So in, in all, by the time I go back, I, I've spent maybe 60 or $70. Don't let my wife hear that. Um, and, and I'm going to walk back with so much good theology. And I have to stay away from Crossway's ESV table because I, I learned what buttery soft means now. I now know what goatskin leather buttery soft means. Oh, my. <laughs> For all you all who had no idea what they were talking about uh, last year when the, the Preacher Bible came out, I now know. So, Wow. Uh, but it's it's an amazing collection of material, and y- you could get anything there, and you wouldn't no, it wouldn't nothing uh, you would get would be a bad book. So so now you know what your co-host Richard's story because he, he knows what buttery soft feels like, and so now you could say at least you know, but you don't have okay. Um, so it, the the sixty dollars you spent was that the number you want your wife to know about? You said publicly, or is there a higher number? Oh wait, the conference isn't over yet. <laughs> I think Chris has a couple more visits to the, to the book table. I've got to stay away from it at this point. <laughs> I doubt it. Um, because I think they purposely put us sitting down to eat right next to where the books are. It's just like, are you coveting yet? Are you coveting yet? Um, talk about the sermons that you've been hearing so far. How has it blessed you? What has been the ones that stood out to you so far? Uh, you know, everything I've heard has been absolutely powerful. I think... Pastor MacArthur's sermon at the beginning where he established what being that servant, being a faithful servant means, and literally describing it as the the lowest level of the ship, that galley slave rowing the boat. That's what servants, that's what, if you're a pastor, a minister, uh, you know, in, in that position, that's what the Bible describes you as. That's the word that they use. So it's not a, we, we know it's a high calling from God. But it is an, uh, so needs to be understood that that level of servanthood is what you need to understand of yourself because you're serving the Master, serving our Lord and Savior. And so it's not nothing to do with you. It's everything to do with Him. So that kind of faithfulness, that you are so willing to be humble. And then just recently, just heard Vody uh, Balcom speaking, talking about faithfulness and persecution. That the reason we're faithful is because it is God doing that work in us. We can't do it of our own accord. We are faithful because it's by the power of God for the purpose of the gospel. And why do we have passion for the gospel? Because we have passion for our Savior. And that is what carries us through. That's why uh, Paul could write to Timothy, I'm ready to die. You know, instead of saying, as he jokingly said, get me the guys that prayed Peter out of prison. He says, no, I, I'm trying to tell you, Timothy, to be the type of person that I'm about to, I'm, I'm about to die. You're about to take my place. He can't make that kind of prayer because he needs Timothy to, be this, to stand up and face persecution and preach the gospel no matter what. And how can you then, in turn, ask for that kind of prayer? 
he is willing to put himself on the line, willing to die for the sake of the gospel, for the Savior, because by the power of God. Again, faithfulness is not something we muster up. It is something worked out, uh, worked in us by God through His Word and uh, through His Spirit. You know, I think MacArthur's um, MacArthur's message was the one I'm hearing everyone speak about. I think the thing that was amazing, you know, he talked about the celebrity, the per- you know, with the modern social media and the way things are with technology. You have all these guys that become celebrities. And there's a whole lot more that want to become celebrities. They're trying to become celebrities. And he really did an outstanding job of, of as you said, I mean, he, he basically said, we're nothing, Christ is everything. And that's so needed. Now, you actually have, in, in your podcast, that's actually a major part of why you and Richard started the podcast, Voice of Reason, and what's really behind it. How much do you think that the message that you heard from MacArthur will impact you going back and starting to podcast now? Actually, I'm hoping that that's something that I don't forget because it, one of the weird things of coming here, I, I've jokingly said, I, I, I'm like the least qualified person to be here. I'm not a minister. I'm not a, an elder or deacon of anything of any sort. And what's funny is the church I'm now attending, those pastors and the men that are there are here. And so I, I came because of you know people like you who are gracious enough to get me here. They're here because that's this is where they need to be for that job. So I'm the least qualified person to be here. But I walk onto this place, and within five minutes, people who have encountered me online are wanting to get to know me, which is so bizarre. And and it's so it's it, it, I'm telling you, you guys are strange. You actually want to meet me, um, <laughs> but the danger of that, how quickly that can go from just to be blessed by that to wow that's cool and suddenly it's about me and and all this stuff that's such a huge danger even for something as small as voice series and radio we're, we're a small podcast with a small following we're grateful for every ear that hears and i know andrew's been running around all over this campus trying to get more listeners for us but <laughs> i think I, I think i got about a dozen so far so i'm working on it we're, we're, we're going for about 50 but uh, that being said it's it's such it's such a great reminder. It, you don't have to be someone that gets a massive following to be at risk of the pride and the um, sin that comes with that celebrity pastor mentality. You can be somebody with a tiny following and still have a mega pride monster. I, I, you know, I was talking with uh, some of the guys earlier, and, and I don't mean to make this about me, but this is how, the best I can relate it. I looked at him. I says, I don't get it. Why? Why are people interested in want, wanting to talk to me? Because I have, really don't have any business here. And he made the comment. He says, You have a powerful presence online. Now, I I, I don't see that. I, it's, it's weird, which I'm actually kind of grateful for. But I also know my own risk of pride. I know how easy it is to want that spotlight. I, I've dealt with it all my life. So to hear that is such a fantastic reminder. About being faithfulness is not about getting my name in lights. Faithfulness is not about being recognized on Twitter. It's not about being recognized on Facebook or a blog or a podcast. Faithfulness is doing what I'm supposed to do, whether anybody's listening or everybody's listening. I'm doing it because I want to serve God. And that's what we always wanted to do with Voice of Reason Radio. Two things. Glorify God, edify the saints. If we're not doing that, it isn't worth it. That's, a, that's an important point. That's, you know... MacArthur had had talked about the fact. I mean, he's 50 years, 50 years faithful, and you don't see that too often. Staying at the same church, 
And a lot of what it is is just sticking to those basic principles and and doing what he was called to do. And, you know, as we think about it and we, we look at what... Um, you know, we look at what it's like to be that long in ministry, that faithful. A lot of it comes down to having your, our priorities straight, and that's what he was talking about. That's what you know you talk about on your show, and I think that you you underestimate the the really like you said the the kind of the power, the influence, the reach that you have on your show. There's a lot of people who are listening. I think more than you are willing to admit, <laughs> and but you know it's because of. People, true Christians, I think, are hungry for to hear the truth proclaimed. Even as you, you old guys always say on your show, "Oh, we're just a bunch of knuckleheads." Uh, you know, I like what the one brother here said earlier. You're not. You know, it's you, you're using the technology. You're proclaiming God, the truth of God's word, and that's that's important for us. So, you know, we got a couple more days left of the conference. Uh, a couple more days for you to go to the book table. There's, I, I, wait, hold on, hold on. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? I, I, I think I hear that. That's the sound of an ESV goatskin calling your name. Um, that's, I, I think I can hear it from here, and I'm by the worship center. So, uh, so any, any last things you want to say before we sign off? Uh, you, what I would say is, you know, for those that are listening to this, pray for every single man that has come here with a desire to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God and to be strengthened, because they're going back to their uh, their churches and they're serving and they've been encouraged they've been strengthened and it's great to be have this mountaintop experience where you just get to see the glory of God extolled and everything being on around you but then you got to go back and you got to put it all into practice and you got to go back and deal with those same people and those same problems those things you were talking about people come here beat down beat up and you come back and, and, and you're just on top of the world Satan and his minions are are part of the problem that we have in this world. They don't want the glory of God extolled. They don't want Christ, Christ preached. So they're going to come back and they're going to face the difficulties of still pastoring in those environments. Pray for these men. Pray for them that they're going to look at something like the Shepherds Conference and go, this is what it's all about and this is what I need to be doing. And they're going to go back and they're going to deal with all those day-to-day issues. Pray that, they're stre- that the things they learn here strengthen them and build them up and continue to do the work that they were, they're here to be strengthened to do. All right, well, Chris, we appreciate you. We really appreciate the ministry of Voice of Reason, what you and Richard do. I would like to say every week, but obviously <laughs> I listen, and I know it's not quite every week. I'd like to say every other week, but I also know that sometimes it's not exactly every other week. So let's stick with every month. Wait, maybe that's stretching it. Okay, so I appreciate every time you record. As the Lord wills, as this brother is saying. I appreciate, as the Lord wills when you record. (laughs) It's a great show, and I hope folks will tune in to Voice of Reason Radio on their podcast app. (laughs) I wish I had video going for what I said. Okay, so that was from Chris Honholz, and he went to his show after a really long time. By the way, folks, I gave him a hard time about how long it takes before he starts podcasting again. And if you go and listen to Voice and Reason, you realize they actually hadn't been recording for several weeks after Shepherd's Conference. So just saying, I think I was validated. But 
I have to be nice to Chris because I want to play for you something of what he said on his show. And, and let me give this shout out for folks. Go out, listen to Voice of Reason Radio. And what I would say is contact them because Chris will not reveal the whole deal in what you're about to listen to. He talks about something that I did, but I did something on Friday, the last day at Shepherd's Conference. I set him up literally to give him nothing. I, I did exactly what he actually had been asking for all week. But you are going to have to get the story from Chris. Hmm. That pun was not intended. His co-host is Richard Story. And I'm telling you to go to Chris about a story. Hmm. Just saying. But check out what he said. This is pretty humbling. And yes, I'll admit, I started to cry. And then there was the... the the mother load. It was going to crossway, ta- the crossway table, the four, like r- large rectangle side table. Um, it they basically had a mile of Bibles. Let's just put it that way. And I zeroed in on the goatskin premium Bibles because <laughs> I wanted to see one. See, last year, um, Steadfast Bibles came out with the preacher's Bible for the NASB Bible. And I, by the way, I got to see one of those and yes, it's that heavy. Rich ain't joking. That's when he won that from Andrew and, and striving for eternity, that that's a workout. Okay. You, you put that on the pulpit and you leave that there cause that thing's heavy. <laughs> but that's well, the first time I had heard about a goatskin leather Bible. Well, the one that I was gifted from Andrew, there's no telling what he paid just to ship that thing to me because like, <laughs> it's a monster thing. Seriously. I mean, even in the, the specs, like on Amazon or wherever you can find it, it listed out as shipping weight, something like seven pounds. Oh yeah. It's it, it the, I think they said the Bible itself is six pounds. So if you include packaging material, cardboard and all that, yeah, you're looking at about seven pounds. So it's a six pound Bible. That thing's massive. So I, I, I zeroed in on, on Crossway's Bible uh, table because I'm kind of a, addicted to the ESV. I'm sorry, folks. I, uh, all my really cool and scholarly friends look down on me because I don't read the NASB. I read the ESV because I get it. Um, I'm, I, one of these days I will spend some time in the NASB. I promise. Don't beat me with yours, please. Um, <laughs> but I, I zeroed in on theirs, and I came across... Uh, two of their premium Bibles. They have a, a preaching Bible, not the preacher's Bible, a preaching Bible that they put out. And then they have another one that's uh, one of their premium Bibles, and, the, and they are the goatskin leather. And and hold on a second, where is it? Here it is. Okay. So I'm going to do, I'm going to I'm going to smell this for you on on air because you can't. <sighs> I now am the owner of a Crossway preaching Bible. With the goatskin leather and the really nice pages, I don't know. If, see if you can hear this. Thanks a bunch. As you sniffed that, I started coughing. So, <laughs> so I don't know if you can hear that. That's the, that's the really nice pages, and and it's ah oh, the, the smell of the goatskin. So what what happened was the reason I now own this is again I have to talk nicely about Andrew Rappaport. Um, I went down there with a certain amount of money. And I, the, one of the first places I went was that table. Now, these Bibles, the, the really premium goatskin one that had like multiple uh, bookmarks and, and then the preaching Bible, they were cut down to 50% off. The preaching Bible was normally $200. This was a $100 Bible now. 
There was another one that's slightly more expensive at 150. I could have bought one of those, and it would have been a a fantastic investment. But I wanted more books, <laughs> so I was tossed. I and so I shared the the information about trying to justify why it, it's a joke. I I realized something with you people that listen to me. I can't tell you these things. I cannot share with you. Ooh, I would love to get that, but because I'm tending to share it to put out for you guys to, hey, here's something you might benefit from, and jokingly kind of talking about how I'd love to get it, but. See, because then you do silly things like what Andrew did. The reason I own a Crossway ESV preaching Bible is because Andrew, out of the kindness of his heart, bought it for me. And right now I'm trying not to cry. I'm not kidding. I'm going to cherish that for a long time. Not just because it's a goatskin ESV Bible but because a man who, for reasons I don't really understand, really likes me. I give him a lot of grief on air, and I give him a lot of grief on Twitter. But Andrew is a genuinely kind man. And he did that, along with some other things, while I was there to make that experience special. Andrew, thank you. And I'm now failing it, not crying. Uh, Sorry, folks. Well, thanks, Chris, because now you've gotten me choked up and and crying myself, even though I've just listened to it again. Uh, Well, the, the reality is we as Christian brothers and sisters should be caring for one another. We should be doing what we can. And I knew that this was probably a one-time experience for Chris and really wanted to make it as special as I possibly could for him. And I tried to really make it something that he would remember and that he could enjoy. And no, no, Chris, sorry. I'm not done with things I have up my sleeve to bless you. I'm just saying I have some things in mind. Let's get to another interview after this. Ding dong! Jehovah's Witnesses. Ding dong! Mormons! Christian, are you ready to defend the faith when false religions ring your doorbell? Do you know what your Muslim and Jewish friends believe? You will if you get Andrew Rappaport's book, What Do They Believe? When we witness to people, we need to present the truth, but it is very wise to know what they believe, and you will get Andrew Rappaport's book at whatdotheybelieve.com. The good news is Striving for Eternity would love to come to your church to spend two days with your folks teaching them biblical hermeneutics. That's right, the art and science of interpreting scripture. The bad news is somebody attending might be really upset to discover Jeremiah 2911 should not be their life verse. To learn more, go to strivingforeternity.org to host a Bible interpretation made easy seminar in your area. All right, thank you, Todd, and we would love to come to your area and do a Bible Interpretation Made Easy seminar or any of the other seminars we have, whether it be the Ambassador Evangelism or Apologetics or Church History or Warning Your Church About Sexual Predators. We have a lot of different seminars that we offer at Striving Fraternity. We'd love to come to your church for a weekend seminar. Or if you have a conference, need a speaker, need someone to preach at your church, we have speakers that can do that, both myself, I, shouldn't, I should say myself, along with 
Pastor Frank Mullis and Dr. Anthony Silvestro, and we are the three guys that do the, the speaking and preaching at Striving for Eternity. Now, this next interview that I have is with a friend of mine that I've gotten to know over the past few years, attending uh, Shepherd's Conference G3. We've gotten together, kind of just one of those things that through difficult times, you build relationships. I think there's a proverb that says something about that, right? That there is uh, brothers are, are made for adversity, that when you have things that you go through together, you end up finding a kindred spirit. And that has been my experience with this next brother, Tom Buck, who I have had on this show before, had a really good discussion. And when we had this discussion, he literally just got off of the dividing line with uh, James White. So hope that you will enjoy this interview. All right, so we're here at uh, Shepherd's Conference. Actually, the last day of Shepherd's Conference, I finally, finally got a hold of Tom Buck so we could talk, because you've been running around crazy. I've been trying to get you on for a while. So how have you been enjoying Shepherd's Conference this year? I'm loving it. I finally had nothing better to do, so here I am, Andrew. Glad to be with you. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But I'm loving Shepherd's Conference. Uh, this has been a great year. It really has in so many ways, just the electricity of celebrating Jonathan, uh, not Jonathan's, but uh, Dr. MacArthur's uh, 50th year anniversary. I mean, uh, I can't imagine missing it. And I'm thrilled to be here. Fifty years of faithfulness is, is the theme throughout. We're seeing it literally everywhere. On every door it says 50. Um, <clears throat> the idea of 50 years serving in one church, you've been around church for a long time. How unusual is it to have one man in one church for 50 years without scandal over 50 years? Well, first of all, I, don't, I personally don't know. I'm sure they've existed, but I don't know any pastor personally that comes to mind that's been 50 years period 50 years without scandal uh, is just unthinkable in one sense or another when you look at today's uh, landscape in the evangelical world so there is there is nobody that I respect more than Dr. John MacArthur Uh, he is an incredible man he's been a he's been a friend to me at times when he's contacted me and, and I've had opportunities to ask him about things that are that I needed to think about in ministry and he acts like he's just one of us there is nothing pretentious about that man whatsoever he loves God he's for the gospel he's for the kingdom um, I, I praise God for him so as we're at Shepherd's Conference any any of the sessions so far that have stood out to you that were either ones that you were thought were the best ones or something that struck you as needed for the Christian body well, for sure, I think one of the things that struck me the most, I would say the most moving sermon for me personally, was Sinclair Ferguson's message on holiness. As a pastor, I think it's easy for us to talk about everybody else's need for holiness, to not think about our own need to be examining our hearts and our lives to make sure that we are guarding our life. As So you have you know guarding the truth and guarding, uh, guarding your doctrine, guarding your life, those things that Paul told Timothy. I tend to be gravitate more towards understanding and quickly guarding the doctrine. So that impacted me greatly. The second thing I say, the best exposition of the week so far for me, was I thought Vody's exposition on Second Timothy was powerful in multiple ways. Even if you want to learn how to preach a text, you need to listen to Vody's sermon because he taught us how to preach expositionally in that sermon, plus ministers to your soul with the word at the same time, which is what expositional preaching does. I, I think for me, the, by far, so far, the best sermon was MacArthur's opening sermon. 
dealing with the issue of uh, just people that want to be like the celebrity Christians. You know, with with media the way it is now, it just seems like everyone everyone can get a platform for themselves. Everyone can can you know make themselves look like they're something bigger than they are. And there's some of you who are like trying to be the celebrity. John really addressed that pretty solidly in saying that we're nothing, and we anyone that thinks they're something is missing the point. How needed do you think a message like that is for for our culture in, in America with what we see in the Christian landscape? Well, first and foremost, I'd say it's needed for myself because I think there's within all of us a desire to uh, have our voices heard to one degree or another. Um, and I think that guarding that in your own life is has to be done. I don't, you know, I'll often say I don't have a desire to have a seat at the table and I don't just have a, have a desire for fame. And I think that's generally true. But when you do when you are offered certain things, sometimes those things can shoot very quickly to your head. So I think that was very helpful for me personally. Secondarily, your question is regarding the just the landscaping evangelicalism, and there's no doubt uh, that that's going on. But I, I maybe I'll give this aspect. I think we need to quit clamoring for the guys of thinking that the guys that are at the top that we need to, to clamor for their attention and all of those things and we need to be busy about doing the work of the gospels just faithful pastors I, <coughs> one of the things I'd love to see in the future is for guys who handle the word well but nobody really knows their name that, that uh, we would begin to platform those guys and give opportunities to hear the word preached by them too and I think that would solve a lot of what we or maybe not solve it but it certainly would help move us in the right direction yeah I mean one of the things you, you know a lot <clears throat> you and I actually know some of the same people but there's a bunch of people you know I could, we, could, we could name names but there's people you know that we, we think of them as like a celebrity we think of it as people a lot of people look up to them you know they come out here at Shepherd's Conference they can't walk two feet without someone wanting to get a picture and, and yet when you sit down with them, they're regular people. They're not. They don't think of themselves as being anything special. They actually kind of get embarrassed by all the attention. Um, and I think that that's a, a thing that you know. There's some people that are looking to get that attention, and there's the real guys. You know, the guys that are really, as MacArthur said, the, the third-class galley slaves that aren't looking to be anything but a third-class galley slave. And I think that's really what MacArthur challenged us to aspire to. You know, aspire to be a slave, aspire to be nothing, uh, which is a strange message in the culture when everyone's supposed to be, you know, looking for greatness, everyone wants purpose and things like that. Um, anything that, that uh, from this year's separate conference that stood out from different ones, this is a little bit of a special one with it being MacArthur's 50th year at the church and the theme of faithfulness, anything stand out different from other years, you think? Well, I certainly think, you know, one of the things that stood out is all the people that came to celebrate what John has done and share the variety of things, uh, even uh, what Ligonier shared with R.C.'s friendship and John's friendship. That was one of the most moving things of the whole week for me. So um, seeing the impact that this man has made just simply by faithfully preaching the word week in, week out, uh, year in, year out, decade <laughs> in, decade out, um, I think is ought to teach us a lot. And, uh, I, you know, he always said, I may not get this right, let me see if I can get this correctly. I heard Dr. MacArthur say this many, many times, that you worry about the depth and God will worry about the breadth of your ministry. And I think that we're seeing that here. His ministry is broad-reaching, and he never worked at that other than the depth of the Word. He is living proof that that is true.
Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at how many people from all over the world have traveled here for this conference. Yeah, it's one of the things I really do. One thing I really would like to have seen is for RC to live long enough to, to be here because I'd love to have seen uh, what he might have said. In your, in your personal life, though, you've, you've hit a milestone. Um, and so you've, you've finished a, a major body of work in, in your life. Uh, we're soon going to have to change what we call you soon, right? We're going to have to give you a new title soon. Um, but uh, talk about your, your, your dissertation you just finished up and some of the, the work and the importance of that. Yeah, they'll have to call me Dr. Jerk now instead <laughs> of just Jerk. Um, so, but anyway, I, um, I, I just finished my uh, dissertation on expositional preaching, expository preaching. And I wrote it on a defense and of and definition of expository preaching and examination of the book of Hebrews, uh, viewing Hebrews as a sermon, and then examining how that preacher handled the Old Testament text, and, and he did so. I'm arguing in a str- clearly strong expository way. So I'm really excited about that. I don't know what God will use it for the future. I'm hoping that it might be beneficial to. Uh, persuade people that are not expositors to become expositors that it's not about that even expositional preaching is not about consequential texts where you're preaching through books although I prefer that and I think that's better helps you to be a better expositor but it's about understanding that we don't say what God didn't say and figuring out understanding what that text said and then preaching the point of that text in such a way that it impacts people's lives to both understand it and apply it in a way that uh, is according to an aspect of, of the work, personal work of Christ. So I expl- that's what I'm explaining in my uh, dissertation. So you figured out who wrote uh, the book of Hebrews, didn't you? Uh, well, you know, if he was a little older, I would say John MacArthur. But, uh, <laughs> but he's not that old, of course. Uh, yeah, I haven't figured that out. I have a theory, but th- that would take far too long to talk about. So maybe, maybe we'll eventually see that come out as a book and uh, on the book of Hebrews. So we'll, we'll have to see. So when, when when do we start calling you doctor then? Uh, well, my uh, my wife's already started, uh, but but anyway, um, I I'm hoping uh, if everything works out, it'd be May 17th. I I do, I do my defense in a couple of weeks. So if they don't kick me out uh, and throw me out on my ear, then we'll see. But that's when it's supposed to be. I, I remember I. Uh, I don't, the president of uh, Toronto Baptist Seminary, he's, uh, when he got his doctorate, his daughter, uh, he says, you know, Daddy, you know, I, I, you know, she hurt herself. She's like, Daddy, can you, can you fix this? And he's like, oh, I don't, you know, I can't help you with this. And, and she goes, but you're studying to be a doctor. And, and his wife says, that's a different kind of doctor, dear. That's a, your daddy's going to be a paper doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Not a real doctor. So like, if you get a paper cut, might be able to help that, but other than that, we can't do much. So any, any things you want to share about uh, what's going on with your church down in Texas or uh, anything that's going on that you, you want to let our listeners know about? Well, I mean, I'm thankful. The f- thing I am first and foremost and thankful to be is a pastor of a local church. It's a privilege. I love it. I love my people. I love our church. I love the fact of seeing after 13 years how the Word is shaping people's lives uh, again, that year in and year out faithful thing, and uh, I want to. I'm hoping and praying that God will use our church to plant other like-minded churches 
in our area because the the thing that is that is the most missing today is that I, that I hear from people consistent constantly is they cannot find a church that just preaches the word of God. They find churches that that preach from the word, <laughs> preach about the word, uh, preach around the word, uh, preach above the word, but we but preaching the word is few and far between. And so we need more men. Listen, Dr. MacArthur, we don't know how much longer the Lord gives us to bless bless us with him. We'll treasure every day that he's here. But he there's he has less years than he's had with us. And we need men to rise up like him. And there's not there's not as many as I would love to see. I want to see more and more pulpits filled with men who simply are committed to preach the word of Jesus Christ, uh, and that's what he's been committed to. We need people to carry this legacy. Yeah, that was one of the things, uh, you know, Steve, Dr. Lawson was trying to encourage many of us, uh, you know, to try to, you know, for the doctorate of ministries. And one of the things he said to us was, you know, John's not going to be around much longer. You know, it's just, it's a fact of life, and there's not many men you can learn from on expositional preaching, like, that are alive today. And so to be able to sit under his, it was pretty convicting, so I think I'm applying. <laughs> you know, when Steve Lawson basically says to you, don't waste another day, yeah. fill the application, you kind of feel like you've got to do that. <laughs> well, if, if you need a reference, let me know. Or maybe you better not let me know. <laughs> uh, you, reference, this is Dr. Jerk. <laughs> so I, I have always appreciated you with, you know, just the, the friendship we've been able to have over, you know, we kind of see each other at these major conferences, but it's always a joy to be able to, to just talk with you. And the one thing I've always appreciated is you've never sought to be anything more than a local church pastor reaching your people. I, every time I've had conversations with you, that's where it always ends up going is to your church, what's going on. And that's the thing that I've always appreciated about you. And so I think the thing that, that draws me to you is the fact that, you know, you were just on John, uh, sorry, uh, James White's show, right? And that's you, and you end up talking about your church. You know, it's like these things happen for you, and you don't seek them out. And it's like you said, you take advantage of them when they're there. But you're about the local church. How important? And I want to close with this: is how important do you think the local church is compared to the platform that people get? You know, with social media and things like that. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Jesus Christ said, I'll build my church, not build my podcast. So, and of course, I'm on one. So, but that doesn't mean that Christ doesn't use those things. But podcasts, whatever it may be, blogs, whatever it may be, if they're not serving the local church, they're nothing but ashes in the end. And therefore, whatever we do, the bride of Christ is whom, for whom Christ died. Now, we know that means individually he's died for us, but I think so often we forget that the collective importance of the collective nature of, of the body of Christ and that we are a people for whom Christ has died. And the local church is where it is at. Uh, I thank God for all kinds of things. But if you, are, and I mean this, and I thank God for the people that are in these roles and positions. I don't want to belittle them. But for me, if you offered me to be president of the largest seminary on planet Earth and pastor a local church, I'd choose pastor a local church. We need more men like that. Now, we need men that do the other. But you don't need as many men to do that as you do uh, pastor in your local church. And we need institutions 
even within our own convention, the Southern Baptist Convention, that understand that who they work for is the local church, who they're working for is to serve the local church, who they're, who they're going to be judged before Christ someday of the effectiveness of their work is how well they served to serve the local church. So if they're not serving the local church and they're serving self or something else, it'll also be ashes there too. I think there's going to be a whole lot of ashes that are going to be on Judgment Day of stuff that people have done that are going to be worthless. Christ died for His church, and that's where our heart needs to be, and there's no greater job on earth than people who serve as pastors of a local church. Yeah, I mean, because it frustrates me when I see, you know, I have a lot of friends that are evangelists, I do a lot of evangelism, I can't stand these guys that go, well, I'm going to switch churches because, you know, they don't do the evangelism the way I want, or they don't do enough of it, they don't support my evangelism. And sometimes it's maybe because their evangelism isn't being done so well, but a lot of times it is, it's the church is where the evangelism should be done through. Every church needs evangelists, and yet some of these guys are like, well, if you're not, you know, I won't be in this church if you're not doing, if there's not enough people or everybody doing evangelism. And it's like, well, maybe God put you in that church so you would be the one to do that. Yeah, I think we misunderstand evangelism. And let me just use 2 Timothy as a point of this. Uh, we've been in 2 Timothy twice this week. And if you look at 2 Timothy 4, he, and all through the book he's telling, preach the word, in season and out season, be ready to reprove, rebuke, exhort, etc. So, and then what does he say? There's five imperatives there at the beginning, and the emphasis is on preach the word, and all those other things are how you preach the word. Then you go to the second part of that where he talks about fulfill your ministry. There's four imperatives there. The most important, or the, the imperative with the most weight on it, is fulfill your ministry. The other things describe that. Now, isn't it interesting that in that description is you, is you do the work of an evangelist? So, according to Paul and his thinking, the day-in, day-out work of the local church, equipping men to teach the Word, refuting false doctrine, all of those things he's been talking about, he sees that as doing the work of an evangelist. So evangelism is not some arm or branch of the church. It's the entire operation of the church. And so pastors are supposed to be doing that work, and when they equip people who go out to do you know, the, the type of witnessing and all the people, all the people equipping them to go out and share the gospel, that's doing the work of an evangelist. You've got to guard the truth. You've got to be in the Word. So this pastor's, the, the, the work of the evangelist as a pastor is not that he goes out 10 hours a week door-to-door visiting and witnessing. That's a wrong thought of understanding what evangelism is. Evangelism is equipping the church with sound doctrine, sound living, refuting false doctrine, equipping the saints. That's the work of an evangelist for a pastor. And that will create a vibrant heart for evangelism. Evangelism, because if we love the truth and we believe the truth, then we are going to tell that to everybody we know. Well, Tom, thanks for coming by. I always appreciate the time I get to spend with you. And uh, for, unfortunately, this year wasn't as much because you've been running around a bit. But <laughs> I have but uh, I, I really appreciate the, the the ministry that you have in my life and how you've helped me to mature as a believer and uh, just the friendship that we have. So thanks for coming on. Well, Andrew, thank you. You're a dear brother. We joke with each other, <laughs> but I appreciate you and thank God for you, brother. That was hard to say, wasn't it? Not at all. I <laughs> promise you it wasn't. But I appreciate the $5 you're going to give me afterwards. <laughs> All right, so I guess I got $5 I owe him on that. Wow, I didn't recognize this really until I put these two together. I didn't plan it that way. And, well, actually, I didn't also know what Chris was going to say because we recorded this before. But two guys that actually said nice things about me. Wow, that's that's amazing. So after this break, I want to get into the segment where we go over a different attribute of God and look at what 
the Bible says about God. Looking for strategies that will help you engage in meaningful conversations with members of the Mormon Church? Well, if so, take a look at Sharing the Good News with Mormons, a new book produced by Harvest House Publishers and edited by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell. Sharing the Good News with Mormons includes 24 helpful essays from two dozen Christian apologists, scholars, and pastors. Pick up your copy at the Utah Lighthouse Bookstore or order directly from mrm.org. And you can also get that at strivingforeternity.org at our store because I am one of the 20 authors that contributed to that work. I'm very honored to be able to do that. So the attribute we want to look at today is God's self-existence. You first see this in Exodus 3.14. What's the context there? You have Moses asking God who he is. What is his name? Because the gods in Egypt all had names. And in Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And that is where we get the name some call Jehovah, some call Yahweh. That is the idea of the self-existence of God, that he is who he is. He has no beginning and no end. We see this worded elsewhere, whether it be in First Chronicles 16.36, blessed be the Lord, God, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. You see that same phrase, everlasting to everlasting, in other places as well. Psalm 41.13, blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. You will also see that same phraseologies in Psalm 106.48. You'll see that again in Psalm 90 verse 2 where it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So the idea there is, before there was a creation, God was there meaning that he was before there was a time. Another phrase that you end up seeing that references this same idea, you can see in Isaiah 44, verse 6, where it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, besides me, there is no God. In other words, there's no one before him, there's no one after him, therefore he would know if there is another, and there is no one else but him. He refers to himself as the first and last in other places, such as in Revelation 2, 8. In there he will, he will say, and the angel said to the church of Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So the idea of the first and last is the idea that there's no one before him. We see this in Revelation 22:13, where it says, behold, I am coming soon, bringing recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And then verse 13, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and and the last, the beginning and the end. What is he doing in all three of those is trying to emphasize there's no one before him and there's no one after him. He is the only God that there is. Now, if you really want to see this most clearly, we would look at this in Isaiah 43, verse 10, where it says, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor 
Shall there be any after me? Now, if you think about this, this is where everybody's talking about these other gods. The other nations had these other gods, but God is saying that he was the first, he was the last, the alpha, the omega. He was from everlasting to everlasting. He knows that there's no God before him. There's no God after him. He is the only God that is. And all of that is precedent in what he says in Exodus 3.14. I am that I am. In other words, the fact that he exists is the self-existence. He himself always existed. Now, there are some who will argue that, well, that there had to be something that made God. Now, this is an idea that comes typically from unbelievers. Why? Because the fact is they want to say that something must have created God because every cause has an effect. Every effect has a cause. What you end up seeing is that they see God and they say, well, something must have caused God. Why? Because, well, when it comes to the universe, we know it had a beginning. Therefore, something caused it to come into existence. That's a cause and effect that occurs. But philosophers would talk about that first thing that had no cause. They would word it in different ways. The uncaused cause is the most popular. But there has to be some thing or person in the beginning that had no cause that caused everything else. That is what we call God. And that's how he refers to himself when he says to Moses, as Moses is going to go back to the Israel people and bring them out of Egypt. And he says, well, who should I say send me? And he says to him, his name is, I am that I am. The fact is what God is saying in that is that he is self-existent. He had no beginning. He has no end. There is nothing and no one before him. And when everything is gone, he would still be here. In other words, he is the un caused cause and he's the only being that can make such a claim why because he is god that's the idea behind that name yahweh that very special name for god that the jews would not say he is the self-existent one that is who god is an attribute of god so anytime you have people that refer to god as if he had a beginning you now know you, that they have a wrong deity, a false deity. Why? Because the true deity, the one of the Bible, the God that exists, is the uncaused cause, the God of the universe that created everything out of nothing, but he had no beginning and has no end. Now, next week on the Rap Report, I hope to start bringing to you some of the messages from the shepherd, some of the messages from the conference that we recently had called sanctification through suffering we hope that these will be helpful to you and that you will gain a lot from them look forward to seeing that next week this podcast is part of the striving for eternity ministry for more content or to request a speaker or seminar to your church go to strivingforeternity.org